Well, good morning. It's Mel Tempest from the Doom Owners Business Podcast. And today I'm speaking to Robert Dyer, Michael Mantel, and Bobby Cabiecho. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, Mel. Good morning, Mel. Good morning. So we've got an interesting podcast ahead of us today, and I would really like to move on to our final discussion in our podcast. And this is a group question where you're all welcome to contribute your thoughts. There are three questions that I have in this, um, and I'll just go through those three, and then we'll just go from there. The first one is how the club owners tackle the ongoing issue of global obesity. The second question is how the club owners tackle the ongoing issue of new trainers coming into the industry who aren't trained well enough. And the final question, and a very important question at that, is how do we as an industry cope with chronic illness such as depression, disease, and the high rate of suicide becoming a daily observance for us when we're not trained in it? Who would like to go first? Well, let me, let me uh, jump in on a couple of those questions. Um, the first is the issue of the uh, poorly trained or the lack of training. I, I, don't, I think whether it's ACSM or NASM or NSCA or ACE or NETA, the, the major um, uh, certifying agencies in, in, the, in the world, really, uh, I think properly are training uh, trainers. That said, I don't believe that necessarily they're getting enough. They're reading a book, they're taking a multiple choice question, a quiz on the, online. You know, they close their eyes, they peek through, they pass with that 67% or whatever it may be, 70%. And now I'm a fitness professional. They have never laid their hands on training a human being. They have no degree. They may have read the book in a week um, or three months, whatever it may be. Um, maybe they see, they've watched some videos, but that to me is not a professional. That's just a, that's an ex- exercise technician. A dental t- assistant has more training. A veterinary assistant has more. A bus driver has more training. A beautician has more training. And then we have scope of practice. If you look at some of the certs on the wall. You're, you're now, you've met all the requirements to develop and implement fitness programs for individuals, listen carefully, who have no apparent physical limitation or special medical need. And now you're going to train an obese person. Now you're going to train someone who's an active aging person. Now you're going to train someone who's just cut surgery. How many, how many trainers actually get valid agreements to participate, inform consent forms and waivers, and hold them until at least until the statute of limitations has elapsed. I think that's a serious problem. They're great at selling certifications, but this to me is the biggest weakness in the chain. We have people who get bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, and PhDs in exercise science, uh, and we're going to call them fitness professionals, and the guy read the manual, took the test, and uh, the multiple choice question test, and you are also a fitness professional, and the public has no idea of the difference. And then we want to know why MDs aren't necessarily referring to health coaches or fitness trainers, because they look at them like, what, do you, what is your background? What is your supervision? What kind of internship have you had? And until we grow in that area, 
uh, we're going to continue to have a real issue. Now, the, the issue of um, scope of practice on, on depression becomes, becomes apparent here as well. Um, and by that, I mean, um, if you have a, someone who tells you, I'm having some problems at home uh, and I'm depressed, you have fitness trainers who will sit down and say, well, you know, I went through something similar and this is how I handled it. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, oh, my parents were divorced and I, this, I, well, that's just beyond scope of practice. It's probably unethical. It is ethical for that trainer just to listen empathically and suggest that they see a therapist or, or, or a uh, life coach or something like that. But we don't, we don't really focus on that. We have trainers who will recommend a supplement. <laughs> and you can't recommend supplements without stepping outside your scope of practice. So these areas I get, I have deep, deep concern about. It's definitely not talked talk about enough. It's the uh, big elephant in the room, guys. And uh, I think we could devote a whole podcast to this alone. Now, Bobby, uh, you mm. get hate mail, and you can only imagine what I'm going to get. <laughs> but I don't care. <laughs> yes, he, he gets lots of love mail, too, though. I want you guys to protect me now. <laughs> I'm writing one of those letters based on your last comment. So you're going to have a very nice message in your inbox when we're done with this. Good, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Bobby, have you got anything to say um, as an industry, you know, coping with chronic illness such as depression, disease, and the high rate of suicide becoming a daily observance for us in clubs? I mean, I can tell you now as a club owner, I deal with these issues all year long. And um, I'm finding now that, you know, a lot of people that do have issues are now not pushing their issues onto the trainers, but discussing their issues with the trainers. And the trainers aren't sure how to acknowledge now gym owners need to have some type of text or, you know, something to tell these trainers. What's the best way around it for them? Well, let's take a look at a, at a few things that Michael said. And my response to um, Michael's commentary was probably yes, yes, and, and yes. And Robert <laughs> had said something a little bit earlier where, you know, everybody wants a quick fix solution. And everybody wants to know, well, what do I do? What script do I use? You know, what, what's the process? I'll print out the paper. I'll hand it out. And, you know, Bob's your uncle. And nothing is that simple. And there is a scope of practice issue where a lot that you're going to come in contact as a, as a fitness professional, as a whatever you call it, with situations that you are just not qualified to handle and how you deal with this. And, and, and it's not a matter of telling somebody what to do. It's a matter of practicing this scenario over and over and over. And how do you get someone to hear the person? You know, it, it's not just a matter of what you say, it's being present and knowing when you need to stop and refer out to a professional, who that professional is, and how you sensitively make that recommendation. And as Michael said earlier, do not interject your own autobiography as a solution to that person's problem. Because first of all, that is unethical. And secondly, it doesn't work. You know, if anything, it creates reactance. It creates a pushback. You know, Michael talked earlier about motivational interviewing and developing discrepancies between behaviors. 
And one of the reasons why that works is because it allows the person to direct their own course of action. But you got to be very, very sensitive to where does your training stop and somebody else's expertise needs to take over. And on the other, on the other hand of this, you know, I, I don't want to sound cynical, but in some ways I am. If we wait for other organizations to change or when the standards are elevated, we're probably going to be waiting a while. And if, yeah. and it's going back to, you know, I believe that sales it is more than a business necessity. I believe if your organization's intention and culture creates an efficacious experience that bridges the gap between where somebody is and where they want to be, selling is an ethical responsibility. But I think that a lot of times there's expertise left out of selling. And there is such a single-minded focus. So what we do is you know, we train people on the sales aspect of training. How do you sell training? What about developing the core competencies and encouraging and even mandating that they develop the, the competence to deliver what they're selling in the first place? And, you know, I've, I've had conversations with health club chains where it, it, their conversations, how do we take our onboarding process and cut it in half because it's expensive? And I, I've worked with directors and VPs who have said, you know, well, all the education they really need is what they come in with. These guys are certified. They should know what, what they're doing. They should know everything they need to know. Let's just teach them how to overcome some objections and put them out on the floor. And then you wonder mm. why you run into the same problems, why your turnover is so high, why oh. your members don't embrace the services that you're trying to sell so tenaciously. What are you doing to guide your people through continuing education? Because when they come with, with a certification, what they've done is pass a test. That's it. No more or no less. And anybody who's managed a team of trainers knows that a lot of times when somebody has passed the test, that is not necessarily indicative of what happens when that client shows up at nine o'clock in the morning and that trainer now freezes because they're in no way, shape, or form, as Michael pointed out, prepared to deal with an actual human being. And we're responsible for that. We can wait for somebody else to change, well or we can take responsibility for that. And and despite well said, and despite yes. us agreeing with that, major cert, major certification agencies will slam the door on the issue of a two tiered system, uh, where you have an internship and those who don't have an internship. How can a how could a would you ever go to a doctor who's only read a book about how to do surgery and actually never done surgery? Would you fly in a plane with someone who says I've actually read a great book about it? I passed my multiple choice quiz, but ah, this is my first flight. I'm not going to be on that plane. I, I, I mean, and neither of you be on that plane either. In the scope of practice, I mean, it says it very clearly with no apparent physical limitations or special medical needs. And yet, who does 
70.6 or 70.7% of the public, according to CDC's research a couple weeks ago, is either overweight or obese. Do they not have uh, health-related problems? The, the, uh, Europe, the, the European Association of the Study of Obesity a couple of months ago reported that so-called metabolically healthy obese people, healthy obese people, are still at high risk of cardiovascular disease events such as a heart failure, stroke, than normal weight people. Seems to me that might fit into this, you know, special medical need category. So how can a gym owner allow someone, a trainer, to actually train that person beyond the scope of practice? But whose fault is Robert, it, Michael? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I can answer that question. I think it's greed. I think it's business necessity, um, but I don't think that, uh, well, I'll let Robert comment on that. He's actually run gyms. Bobby, you guys, you probably can speak to that better than I can. I know from the perspective of physicians that I talk to, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists who laugh when they hear uh, a, a client or a patient say, my trainers told me what I should do is I should meditate more and take this supplement. Well, where do you come off telling someone to do that? What? How do you? What's how do you arrive at that have? determination? Yeah, <laughs> really. You and I could make supplements in a bathtub in a warehouse, <laughs> if we, and, and no one North? has any control. So, so Robert, what I, do you I think? Have, I, yeah. Well. I, I don't know if this is on topic with what you're wanting, Mel, but after 26 years of owning clubs of all types, women's only, hospital-based, uh, co-ed, fitness only, group fitness only, multi-purpose, all those things over the years, I've had three people die. And let me tell you, what I, I learned from that lesson, what, what the lesson I learned from this was never be afraid to say no. It's because the, these no. three people happened to be people that were flagged under the PARQ type system, which is so minimal, I know, but from a liability perspective, we're forced to use it. It's an industry standard, whether it's right or wrong, but there was a flag. There was a red flag. And we declined to let that person join and asked them. It's very kindly and made them feel good about doing it, that this is for in their best interest because there could be something that they get a physician's release to be able to exercise. And if they would, please, to give me what limitations that they would like to see you stay within. Uh, this happened three times over a lot of years. One was a drowning, and a, a woman drowned in, in an aerobics, water aerobics class in my, my women's only club. One died doing a leg press, and uh, he had a, a heart murmur, and he got full clearance that he's totally healthy to work out. Mm. And one was in our martial arts class, and his heart stopped. And, and let me tell you guys, until you've 
all these people that have been through a lot and tell me they got problems and they've experienced a lot of things. It, there's nothing like it until uh, you hear that someone around the corner from where you're standing is underneath the leg press with it pressing them down with four or 500 pounds. You're trying to get it off of them because they're dead. So the lesson to me was I don't really care much what other people think about me. Is that I, I, I really, I do the best that I can. And if I have an instinct or anything comes up, I'm not afraid to say no in the best interest of that person. Not from my perspective, but from the best. In, that, that $59 a month isn't worth it. Those people <laughs> dying. Wow. And then you're having to shut the club down and clear the club because the ambulance paramedics are coming in. Uh, it's just a horrifying feeling. So a lot of this stuff, to, to me, becomes mute points. Is if there's a problem, I'm not going to do it because that's for their own safety. So I'll conclude my comments on that topic with that. Anybody else want to add? Categorize anything? them. Yeah. Bobby. I don't. Michael. Well, I don't. I don't know if anybody should add anything to that, um, except uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know whose fault it is either. But I think the more important question is whose responsibility is it? And if it's taking place in your facility, it by default has to fall on you. And I, I remember yeah. you asked a very good question about, you know, we had a podcast around selling and I suggested, because you said, well, how do you start the tour? By anticipating the level of apprehension and anxiety that person is bringing into the facility. And confronting that and empathetically bringing that up, and, and you had very rightfully said, well, well, what about people who are saying, I don't want to bring that up. What if the person leaves? And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think there is, there's a risk in everything. But I, I think when you're confronted with doing the right thing, the right thing should be the right thing, not because of the payoff, but because it's the right thing. But the other side yes. of that, is there is such little risk. You know, I, I've been a member of health clubs. Um, I've been in, a, as I know, Michael and Robert have been in more health clubs than any human being should ever <laughs> naturally find themselves in in the course of a <laughs> lifetime. And I have never heard anyone say, I would have stayed a member but they just gave a shit about me too much. The experience was too good. I felt too engaged. And oh, you, you know what? They I made just, me feel it was too important. A little bit weird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they made they me feel too special. They listened for safety, and belonging, and, and significance. They said happy birthday. <laughs> right. That's so awesome, I, I, Bobby. That's I, awesome. I, I, <laughs> if that is where your head is at, Ask yourself, one, what do you really sell? Not what you tell your team you sell to get them all pumped up and drive revenue, but what do you honestly sell? You know, because we're talking about, you know, trainers saying yes to things 
that they're not qualified to say yes to, what are you selling that you're not qualified to sell because the caring is is not there, the delivery's not there? The second question is, what is the overall risk of really taking care of people? Because a lot of times, the very thing that you think is a detractor is the very thing that builds the integrity and the retention in your business over the long term. Because let's be honest, people have a lot of choices and they have more choices and therefore more expectations and demands than they have ever had since the conception of the industry. And a lot of those choices are stale. It tastes stale because it's delivered through a stale vessel. So if you're putting people first and you have what I will refer to, I learned this from a CEO I worked with, an originating intention, which is what you hold so sacred that you don't want it for just members who join your gym or members who buy this thing that you're selling, but you want this for everybody within your circle of influence, regardless of what decision they make, and you operate off of that, you have a unique selling proposition that can be only created by that level of heartfelt authenticity. You will stand out. And if you lose anyone, it'll be minuscule to the amount of people you can attract and keep because people are desperate to feel safe feel like they belong, feel significant, and feel inspired? And does your facility create an environment that holds that space for them? I'm just jotting this down, Bobby. I love what you've, what you've said. And I have to say that um, my, my new hashtag for the week will be there is little risk in doing the right thing. Uh, that's for sure. I, you know, I think it was Maya Angelou, I, I think it was she, who said that they may forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you left them feeling and Absolutely. In, in that re- in, re- in that regard you know the, your point Rod, Rod was incredible that you know no one ever said they made me feel too important or too special um, I did a I did a, I did a, a, a thing with a with a group of uh, gym managers in a big box gym a couple of weeks ago and I said let's go through I want to walk on the gym floor with y'all and I want you to tell me why is that woman on the treadmill right now why is that man over there doing some weights? He's going to hurt himself the way he's lifting. Why is that couple walking in hand in hand to the gym? Why is that, that those guys back there on the chest press? Why why are they here? I don't know. I mean, they want to tone up. They want to get in shape. They want to look good. And I said, okay, you know, we teach trainers to ask clients what their why is. Can you imagine if you, as a gym manager, you understood? everybody's reason for working out when you walk by them that day don't you think your comments might be a little different than hey how you doing hey how's it going how's it going today don't you think it might be a great deal more uh, that they would feel more important and special to, to for you to understand their real reason for joining a gym what are their real why well, they want to, you know, they want to be healthy. I know, but why? Well, why don't they? Who doesn't want to be? I didn't ask who doesn't. Why do they want to be healthy? Well, they want to live a long life. Got it. Why do they want to live a long? Well, maybe they want to be around to celebrate their grandchildren's wedding. Okay, now we have something very different to talk about. 
When you ask somebody why five times, it's at the fifth why that you'll get the deep, deep motivation, the internal, intrinsic motivation. Not because I want to look like some magazine, but I, I think that when you know, ask gym owners, how many of them would really know why people are joining their gym? I must tell you one of the things. I used to work for a hot tub manufacturing company. I helped them build a, a aquatic fitness uh, hot tub. And I worked on the, I went down to the, to the manufacturing floor, 450 mostly Hispanic guys. I said to them, what do you guys do? And the uh, CEO of the company slapped himself in the forehead and said, what do you mean? Of course you know what they do. No, I want to hear what they say. Well, I'm building hot tubs. I screw the trim in. I put the jets in. I put the, the fountains in. No, no, no. What do you guys really do? Hmm. And they looked at me like I was crazy. What you really do? You build a place for husband and wife after a long day at work to come home and communicate and get in the mood. You build a place for children and grandparents to play. You build a place for someone to come home and cut stress. I, I'm not giving you guys a line. Call D1 Hot Tub. We just we sold it not too long ago to the jacuzzi. But ask them what happened. Production on that floor went up 40, I forget what percent, over 40%, almost immediately because they had a sense of pride in what they were doing. They suddenly felt they were connected to something deep and meaningful. If our trainers, managers created a culture where every one of our clients felt special and important, wow, what a difference it would make. It certainly would, Michael. It certainly would. Gentlemen, it's at that time. We've been on our podcast now for quite some time. We've spoken about um, a lot of topics, and I thank you very much for your time today. And I look forward to doing the next panel podcast with you. Most importantly, by that time, Michael would have worked out the time zones. <laughs> Our listeners would love to see all those messages, wouldn't they? Yes, yes. And hopefully by then, Bobby would have flown out of New York and the snow. Uh, but you can certainly rely on Robert and I getting it right and leading the both of you. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be back in San Diego on Thursday of this week, assuming I get out of the snow. And then I'll have to deal with yet another time zone. <laughs> you will. You will. So what I'll say to our listeners today, I'll pop all the details of our speakers today at the end of the podcast. I do look forward to having the gentleman on again. And as I said before, thank you very much for your participation today. And I shall speak to you all very soon. Thank, thank you. you very, thank you, very much. Thank you for joining the Gym Owners Podcast, sponsored and supported by National Fitness Business Alliance and Gym Click Media. Find Mel Tempus on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Join us next time for the Gym Owners Podcast.